Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, leading teams, making the best out of your team. As always, it's myself, Mark Johnson. I'm a performance teacher and a performance maker, and my co-host and colleague, Sean Gallagher, who is a sports coach, talking about what we find in common and different about how we run teams. Hello, Sean. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very, uh, very good. I'm excited for this week's conversation. We have Charlie Pennell, who is a colleague of ours from where we work, and he is going to be talking about his work as a Duke of Edinburgh manager at uh, the college that we work at, but also as a dungeon master. I know, I know. Very, uh, very unique set of skills this man has, much like uh, Liam Neeson. Um, so <laughs> very much, very much looking forward to to this chat. And it, what's great about this one, um, and we had this chat a couple of days ago with Charlie and God did we talk. We went on and on and on. So we're actually going to split this one into two uh, separate episodes. Um, I know. Is that, it was like the Godfather, Mark. Do you think we need to make it a trilogy? Potentially. We'll wait for the. Uh, we'll wait for some feedback, but it could be a trilogy with some really eerie music, kind of going through it. it you know, as as our as our um, tribute to the Godfather trilogy. <laughs> Uh, and equally as award-winning one day, perhaps. Um, but the, the conversation we had with Charlie uh, was super interesting for me because where we find that you and I tend to agree or disagree about how we run stuff, Charlie's managing to combine two very, very different disciplines, I'll call them disciplines, in a way that he is finding that consistency and that uh, way of creating groups and teams in both of those things in one person. So he's like the both of us wrapped up in one. Yeah, which is um, is a tough feat. It's not it's not an easy task. And especially, you know, obviously we'll go into it on the podcast, but um, it was just interesting to see his role and how he sees his role within those different groups um, because it wasn't something that I was expecting him to say necessarily. So yeah, as I said, once we get into it, um, I think the guys will understand what I mean. Absolutely. But yeah, just specifically his role. Yeah, the um, if you're more interested in the Duke of Edinburgh stuff, that's going to be this episode. And the next episode, I think we'll dig more into the Dungeons and Dragons, but both are worth listening to because it is uh, rare that you'll find someone who does both. What's been uh, what's been on your mind this week, Sean? Um, I think what's been interesting for me this week is just trying to talk to more people um, about the podcast, uh, about what we're trying to do, uh, the subject matter, and it's been good because I've had some people come back to me uh, with some some great feedback and also kind of like book recommendations. So I had a recommendation from uh, who was an ex student of mine and then an ex colleague, mm -hmm. uh, which was which was great. Uh, we stayed in contact, and he was talking to me about the book uh, Prince 
principles by Ray Dalio, who I believe uh, has like a managed like a big hedge fund and, you know, was a, is, is a owner of a huge company. So, and just looking at principles within a team there. So that's something we may touch on in a podcast episode at some point. Absolutely. And if there's anything that anyone wants us to be looking at or trying to get people on, we have set up the socials. So no I podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Sean, I'm going to issue you a challenge. I, you said this is that we started to promote the podcast this week and I have got us three followers on Twitter. How many Instagram followers have we got? No idea. Cause you've, I, I don't even have the username or the password I it, and I, I don't know I how I can admin. Last week, so you do have it. I d- <laughs> I, I I don't think I do, but if I if I you do, made this sarcastic then I, comment about the password. Oh no, that is true. You did give me a very long password that I'll never remember. Um, yeah, no, I've probably got you no followers right now, but I I am getting listeners. I am getting listeners to the podcast for sure. So um, so some people are interested, uh, and as I said, those people are giving me feedback. So yeah, we're just really trying to push to see how many kind of interesting guests we can get on the show. Because I'm sure people don't want to hear from us too much. It's much better getting in some uh, yeah, so some, other, some other people. Any requests or even better, any uh, recommendations or if you have a connection and you want to hook us up with them or if you are yourself someone who has been in a particularly interesting team or is in a particularly interesting team, uh, drop us a line on uh, No I Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, and we'll try and, we'll try and set it up. I would really love, uh, I was just thinking I'd really love to hear from someone who was in like uh, Navy SEALs or SAS, you know, one of those kind of life and death level teams. No, 100%. And I think obviously there are, there are those guys out there and um, who, you know, they've, they've, they've got their books out there. They're on podcasts, um, they're kind of YouTube channels, etc. So I think when we are talking about teams, I think when, when we're looking at the very top, I do think it is still that kind of military kind of experience where you can get some real great stuff with regards to being part of a team and and kind of how to excel within that team. And uh, it goes without saying, if anyone, uh, when all of this coronavirus stuff is out of the way and in the rear view mirror, wants to talk about what they've been doing when they managed uh, stuff like NHS staff or uh, some of our teacher friends, it'd be really interesting to hear how you've kept teams going or you've had to make adjustments while all of this stuff's been going on. It'd be super interesting for us and hopefully everyone else. But with no further ado, um, let's jump to the conversation that we had with uh, Charlie Purnell. He introduces himself a little bit, but he's a colleague of ours at the college that we work at. And uh, we started this conversation before the lockdown and said, no, 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 stop. We need to have this recorded. (laughs) We did. Uh, So we managed to get into it and it was was a really easy chat. but goes to some very interesting places about when you're working with young people, what does it mean to be the adult leader of a team of young people? So uh, moving straight into that, here is Sean and I's chat with Charlie Pennell. Teamwork. Yes. yes. So we've invited Charlie Pennell on today. Charlie is someone that Sean and I both work with and that we have included in some of our conversations quite a lot in the past because Charlie has, as well as his official roles at the place that we work, he also 
has an unofficial role as the head of the Dungeons and Dragons Society. Uh, that, a, what's your title for being in charge of Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, Dungeon Master is the is is the official title. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Charlie is the Dungeon Master at BLD, and our Duke of Edinburgh coordinator. Yes, indeed he is. Now you run all of our co-curricula, Sean, so you have some kind of oversight or at least interest in both of those activities. Which one do you feel like you know better? Duke of Edinburgh or Dungeons um, & Dragons? Um, I'm going to go for a strong B of E. Yeah, and I have I have dipped my toe in the dungeon before. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you're both, you're both kind of uh, peripherally involved in, in, in both of those things, I think, which is, which is fair to say. And, and the reason we've invited you on is because one of the things that we're doing here is we're looking at the ways in which teams of different sorts have their similarities and also their differences. We've spoken to sports coaches, we've spoken to performers, uh, and uh, both Duke of Edinburgh and Dungeons and Dragons feel like they occupy quite unique spaces. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you have probably, I hope, discovered similarities across the two that go into how you keep those teams running. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're both uh, teams of which I am sort of uh, not part, if that makes sense. So uh, in both situations, I am not the member, a member of a team, but more sort of the the trainer or the leader or the or, or, or the sort of the person that keeps things going. And do you, sorry, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you. Do you consider yourself not a part of those teams then? Um, I, so <laughs> it's an interesting one. Um, it's probably worth sort of. Um, maybe giving a tiny bit of context about both of them go for it because i know they're both as you as you quite pointed out a bit niche to see what sort of to, to begin with just because I, I feel like um before talking about why i don't necessarily see myself as as part of the team um uh duke of edinburgh award is, a, is is an internationally recognized award for, for people who uh to sort of show their kind of merits in, in extracurricular activities. So they have to do, learn a new skill, do physical activity, do some volunteering. But the bit we're going to be talking about today is the expedition. And uh, and as a DV manager, um, I, 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 I run and I lead and I manage those expeditions. Groups of four to seven young people going off and being self-sufficient. Um, and that's the key part is that there's the self-sufficiency. And that's the bit that, that, that is important here. They go off into for anything from two to, to four days, camp, cook for themselves, carry everything they need to, do all their navigation themselves. And, and the key part, the kind of self-sufficiency part, is that they they should, by the end of it, not be have, have, have adults even walking with them. Right. They should be met at checkpoints. They should be left to do it on their own. And so actually the part of running that is actually getting to the point where I can remove myself from the team. So I, I, a, a team that is created, put together, at some point I have to step back and let them get on with it. And, 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 and the, sort of the parallels, which I think is the question you asked, with the, the, the other pastime um, that, uh, uh, that I uh, run, is um, that the Dungeon Master, again, is not one of the players. It, it's the creator of the game, the creator of the world. But actually, as much as possible, you're trying to create scenes, create um, atmospheres and step away from them. Again, a bit of a niche thing. But for those of you who don't know, D uh, Dungeons & Dragons is a game, which is a mixture of role-playing, kind of classic board game, 
uh, improvisation, storytelling, in which somebody creates a world and a set of rules within the world, and then the players just kind of roll, run with it as characters. Excellent. We had a long conversation about improvisation uh, last week, so we've got mm-hmm. uh, some interesting crossover there that maybe will come to light. Mm-hmm. So you start as the organiser, as the creator of the team. Do you... Do you go through a process of choosing who's in what team, who's in what, uh, what group? In sort of um, both situations, sort of the, the choices are made for me. Um, it's worth saying that I've, I've, I've done about sort of 20 uh, or so Duke of Edinburgh expeditions, um, and I'm quite new to, to dungeon mastering, although I have been a player for a longer period of time. So my experience of Duke, Duke of Edinburgh is more so than my, my experience of running games of Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. But in both situations... Um, essentially it's a sign-up process and in neither situation is there any kind of prerequisite or kind of a level of attainment in anything that's needed before it, it, it it's totally inclusive um both from duke of edinburgh and from dungeons and dragons so so essentially at the beginning of each duke of edinburgh season i have you know students are allowed to sign up and then whichever students sign up that's that those are the teams that i need to then and create charlie is that even from a, a physical standpoint because obviously there is a physical section on dov and then the expedition itself is quite demanding in terms of physicality if you think about how long the walks can be etc so when you say there's no kind of uh prerequisites is, is you still take kind of anyone and everyone yeah so so, so duke of edinburgh themselves are really quite the, the award scheme are very clear about this and they've done something quite clever in, in, in the sort of regulations about what it is to get your expedition. Because they talk about it in terms of time and they don't talk about it in terms of distance. OK, so there are a variety of forms of transport you can use as long as they're tra- transport which uses your own energy. So it's not just about walking. You can be kayaking if you want to. Um, horseback riding is, a, is, is, is an example. And at the different levels of the award, because there's, there's different levels you can do bronze, silver and gold. It's actually about the number of hours that you're engaged in activity to pass the expedition so on a walking expedition you might cover let's say 20 kilometers one day with a really really kind of fit physically able group but you put somebody in that group who's maybe got a physical disability and you you can shorten the distance that has traveled keep the same amount of time for, for bronze it's um they've got to be out for six hours doing the activity and then you, you, you've increased the challenge because actually from the teamwork perspective, you've maybe got a kind of a logistical um, kind of route planning option that needs to be looked at in order to accommodate the student who's there who may not be able to go over styles or, or, or something like that. Or you're looking at the logistics of maybe a, a different type of transportation as long as it's, 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 it's physical exertion that's used. So actually, the Duke of Edinburgh themselves say that they're very, very inclusive and and, and highly sort of support um, this kind of inclusivity. And that kind of comes, you know, is the bit that actually is the sort of learning curve of those students who maybe are the ones that see themselves as sort of physically very, very fit and, you know, uh, in top of the football team or whatever, who who sign up for it as a physical activity and then then realise that the hardest thing to do is to go to the, at the pace of the person in the group who is struggling the most, and and that's that often it's the, the the teamwork learning. You get people who are used to being in an activity where where everyone's at the same level, and suddenly there is no everyone's at the same level. Everyone's at different levels in terms of their ability to navigate, in terms of their physical ability. Um, and actually, the last expedition that that we we ran, 
um, which was just before all this lockdown happened, a couple of a couple of weeks before, um, there was that example. There was, this, there was a student who who had had an experience on a bronze expedition of being with a really fit group, and they just did loads and loads of kilometers each day. And on the first day, he found himself in a group which wasn't like the bronze group he'd been in. There were students who had challenges in different areas, and he got frustrated on the first day with his group. You know, it was a lot of sort of like, I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe I'm stuck with this group who blah, blah, blah. By the end of the third day, he was talking about in a positive way some of the ways that he'd learned to inspire a group that didn't involve running ahead like sort of <laughs> no, exactly. a kilometre and then moaning at them when they weren't there. Exactly. I think, And I, th- I think that's what's really kind of intrigued me and interested me about the kind of dynamic of the DOV expeditions because schools across the country will all have different types of students within a team at any one point and every expedition is probably different because of the different levels that are there within within that group that's what i think is a really interesting kind of as i said topic of discussion So my question off of that is and it's one of the biggies and it's something that sean and i've covered for the other guests that we've had is when you're in a situation where you have zero uh prerequisite Mm-hmm. That means anything you want the young people or the participants to do, you have to find some way of equipping them with that. So what are, what are the things that you are choosing to equip them with? What are the necessaries for, well, we can start with Duke of Edinburgh because we're on it, but also uh, I'm interested in that for Dungeons and Dragons too. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with, with Duke of Edinburgh, um, it, it's an interesting one. As something that's non-competitive and also something that's completely inclusive, it is also worth saying that there are different levels that, that you can enter at, and, and, and the bronze, silver, and gold, and, and the expeditions, as well as the other sections, which I'm not really going to talk much about today, but the expedition section, there is a, a level of difficulty that increases as you go through. So uh, somebody who's never done anything like Duke of Edinburgh expedition before, never done any kind of outdoor pursuits, never done any hiking, never kind of offended for themselves in the wild, um, shouldn't be going straight into gold. So one thing that you can do is sort of at that point of entry, um, sort of make sure that they're signing up for the right level of the award. So to that extent, there is a sort of prerequisite to silver and gold. So if we're talking exclusively about bronze, um, what you're what you've got at the beginning is a group of students who are in the most cases, students who have never been for two days walking completely self-sufficient before. And in built, built into the award is, is a practice hike. And that is the crucial part of equipping them for it. And the practice hike is basically a run-through of the real expedition. But that is the time when the teachers, the leaders, the managers, myself, are allowed to be with them and basically walk them through it. So, so as a sort of uh, starting point, the practice hike, I would be walking alongside them, navigating with them, um, almost sort of a mixture of kind of coaching uh, and teaching and sort of training, all of that sort of stuff. But in view of stepping back at the first, at the earliest possible moment, because the the self-sufficiency part of Duke of Edinburgh is the bit that takes the longest to sink in. And the sooner you can step back and let them make a couple of mistakes and get let them realise that you're not there to fish them out of those mistakes, the better in a way. Now, you've got to do that within the realms of safety, <laughs> and you're talking about students out in the forest 
uh, and all the logistics around it is actually about making sure that they're observed and monitored in a way that they don't feel observed and monitored. That's the sort of scaffolding around it that I think it helps them feel supported enough to be able to go off and do things on their own and not make this, not not uh, not have horrible com- like consequences of making a mistake. Charlie, how, how difficult is it to watch a student try and put a tent together? <laughs> not as difficult as it is to to spend. So as I said, you know, twenty plus expeditions. My goodness, the most frustrating thing for a Duke of Edinburgh leader is the morning. Okay, so this is a, a conversation that happens on every Duke of Edinburgh expedition. Is what time would you like to get up in the morning? And they'll say, <laughs> um, "How about ten a.m.?" And then you say, "Oh no, no, okay." So you've got to do six hours of walking. As soon as you get up, the sooner you'll get to campsite, you'll be able to cook whilst it's light. You'll be able to put your tent up whilst it's light. So they go, "Well, I tell you what, if we get up at eight, um, then we'll be we'll be off the campsite by by nine. And I say to them. I've run 20 plus expeditions and that's never happened. So let's go an hour <laughs> earlier and see what happens. So we get them up at seven. By 10 o'clock, they're still standing around looking at their tents, thinking that they're oh. just going to magically put themselves down and that they're, that they're, they're fine. <laughs> that's the frustrating bit. And it's actually the, the hardest part is knowing is you, you don't need to do the I told you so, because the experience that they then have that night of putting up their tent in the dark and cooking in the dark, which isn't nice, then is the point at which they go, oh, we should have left the campsite earlier this morning. So you have to allow the failure to happen. You need to allow them to see that failure through without the I told you so, but with the, you you know how horrible putting that tent up was in the dark. If you had left earlier, then you may have been able to put it up in the light. But if they've lived through that, that's just sort of, that, yeah, uh, <laughs> let's not let's not do that again, guys. Let, let, yeah. let, let's let's not have that experience again. I think it's a big one as well when you just look at coaching in general. Is that whole thing of if I'm setting up a session and I have a certain way I want it to go and a certain kind of outcome, mm. if that doesn't immediately happen, it's very easy to jump in, stop the session, tell everyone what to do, what you're looking for, rather rather than kind of let it play out let them kind of go through that mistake period Mm. and then maybe see if they talk amongst themselves, if they have a little debrief, if one of the people in the group goes, guys, we need to be doing this, this way. This is what we're looking for within the session to see if they can work it out for themselves. And some people will call that guided discovery, but guided discovery as a coaching style is very difficult to, to kind of do well, because there is always that point where you want you do want to jump in, you know? Well, I think one of the reasons why Duke of Edinburgh is quite um, quite unique and, and good in terms of, of being able to allow for guided discovery is that you're talking about the fundamentals. You're talking about if they don't cook, then they don't eat and they, they're hungry. And if they don't put their tent, then they've got nowhere to sleep. And actually, uh, that becomes the motivator and so the guided discovery of them being hungry at 9pm because they had an argument and, and had a huff for two hours and, and stopped navigating and therefore are cooking late. You know, that, that, the, the consequence, I've always said the consequence of, of getting things wrong on Duke of Edinburgh has a more immediate impact on, on the individuals than maybe getting something wrong in the classroom does because it is where you get, what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep. And we don't yeah. have that stuff. We don't have, I mean, we do, but we, we, we don't 
they're not aware that we have spare equipment, spare tents, spare food. And also it's very clear within the, within the Duke of Edinburgh that they have to be self-sufficient. They don't technically pass an expedition if they start take, you know, buying food on the way or even being given food by the leaders. Everything they carry, everything they have, they have, they, they have to have themselves. So, 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 so yeah, being, being a little bit hungry, you know, a bit, a bit of a grumbly belly at 9pm because, because things went wrong that, that day, again, within the realms of safety, um, or, 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 or being or having the inside of your tent soaking wet because you put your tent up in the middle of a of a storm when like two hours earlier it was actually quite bright you know those are the sorts of consequences that they remember and kind of get right on on, on the actual assessed expedition which is the sec the second time around but also again it, within the fabric of Duke of Edinburgh is this idea that you do a practice where you can get things wrong and you do the assessed where you know, you can still get things wrong, but hopefully you've learned a few things from from the practice. I think if you just went straight into an assessment, then th- th- there wouldn't be any learning, really. Yeah. Charlie, do, do, you, de- do you debrief um, on the practice? Yeah. Yeah, again, um, there, there, there's this thing called um, the 20 Conditions, which is a set of rules that Duke of Edinburgh expeditions run by. Um, it's, it's the 20 things that the students need to have done during their expedition in order to, to qualify. And uh, within that, um, one of the conditions is they must have a debrief. And although it doesn't explicitly say this, we tend to debrief each day. We tend to debrief at the end of the practice as well. So that that actually fits with the question I was going to ask. Um, mm. You're working with young people. You're working mm-hmm. in the area of creating spaces f- where failure will take place. Mm-hmm. where quite risky failure will take place. When you are kind of doing that assessment for learning on the outcome of that failure, how active are you there in terms of how heavy is your hand? What are you looking out for? What uh, what are you doing to make sure that, that those things that can only be experienced or can best be experienced through that screwing up are landing as personal lessons rather than ways to blame someone for being cold. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, and I don't know if the award scheme realise this, but I feel that, that part of having this sort of set of 20 conditions, and this is a, probably one of the sort of, one of the parallels as well with, with um, the Dungeons & Dragons game, which I haven't talked about much yet, but we'll get to, is, is, this, is the sort of rules. I never really feel like I have to have a heavy hand on Duke of Edinburgh because of... A, the consequences of the actions are pretty clear. You know, if you've got not got a tent to sleep in, then you're going to have a, a worse night's sleep than if you have got a tent to sleep in. But with the 20 conditions, with the sort of rule book, I don't have to be heavy-handed in, in, in a sense of if if students have decided to do Duke of Edinburgh, they're not being forced to do it. Um, so it's something that they want to achieve. They have an active actively signed up and want to achieve this thing. And, and it's really clear to them at the start what they need to do that. And one of the things that they need to do is to be self-sufficient. So if a student is heading off to the shops to buy a can of Coke halfway through an expedition, you don't have to be headed handed. You just have to say, you know, you're welcome to buy a can of Coke, but you, you won't have fulfilled the conditions. And I, and I feel like it's one of the luxuries that you have on Duke of Edinburgh is that despite the fact you're in a risky environment, and the fact that you are constantly managing risk, constantly managing uh, monitoring and observation without necessarily being seen, what you're never really having to manage on any great level is that sort of behaviour management, heavy-handed kind of approach. Because if it's not done, then it's not done. And and, and the only person that sort of suffers is the, is the student. Uh, 
Charlie, even though even though I know you're saying kind of, uh, let's say, inside the classroom and on an expedition are two very different things. Is there not also value in having a version of the 20 conditions at the beginning of the year within your classroom, within your your groups of students? Because the risk of not doing your homework, of not paying attention, of not listening, of not trying to do your best, of not being respectful, that the outcome of that is quite risky because it could mean not getting the GCSEs, A-levels, BTEC results that you kind of want for your future. So is there ways to kind of bring that kind of DOV mentality into a classroom space? I think there is, but I, but I also think, uh, 100%, and that actually, um, you know, my philosophy as a Duke of Edinburgh leader is very similar to my, my, my teaching philosophy, and I'm not, I'm not a sort of somebody who... I'm somebody who would like to think of myself more as someone who coaches in, within teaching and, and, and leads and things like that. But what you've got to what you've got to think about here are the students for whom a classroom environment is not a, well, not a situation in which they flourish. You often get students who excel in class and follow all the rules and brilliant, and they're generally very good on on Duke of Edinburgh in terms of not necessarily finding it easy, but actually being able to sort of follow the rules and things like that. What what I've discovered is that you get the students, and there's one student who's still on my mind almost every time I run a Duke of Edinburgh, who was a previous school I worked at, who was one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult students to teach. Um, uh, he he kind of would, uh, he didn't really sort of see any value in, 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 in academic learning. Um, he also was just smart enough to be able to, and I'd quite have to admit it, like outfox the teachers, you know, um, and sort of make life very difficult. Um, my goodness, did he flourish on Duke of Edinburgh? Because the things that he didn't see a point in, uh, in the class, he didn't sort of see what what uh, academic achievement would get him. Suddenly on Duke of Edinburgh, it was very, very black and white. It was very clear to him. And this was a student who sort of saw things very rigidly, saw things very, very black and white as well. Um, and suddenly... That thing that I've been saying before, the the you know, if you don't put your tent up, you've got nowhere to sleep. That that became his sort of thing. But he also realised it was it was growing, it was going into his his strengths, and he wanted to show that he could do. He wanted to flourish, and he was the he was the first to get sent up. He was cooking food for for most of his team, and absolutely excelled. What I think happens on Duke of Edinburgh, and I think this is this is this is a sort of lesson learned, is 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 to to have those conversations with those young people once they get back into school, and say. These are the skills that you demonstrated that you have during a uh, an expedition, um, and it doesn't have to be Duke of Edinburgh. Any kind of outward bounds sort of type trip, or any kind of outward bounds type activity, whether it be camping, whether it be climbing, whether it you know a, a sort of couple of days sort of residential. If you can sort of pick out those students who are excelling there but aren't necessarily excelling in school, and sort of have that conversation with that debrief and say, these are some some characteristics that you have demonstrated in a different environment, you can demonstrate those characteristics here, then I think that's when you get development. We're going away from teams a little bit, I suppose, because we talk about individuals. But it's but... super interesting for me that we spend a bunch of time telling people to get out of their comfort zone and making an assumption that the something like a DV expedition is outside of someone's comfort zone rather than recognizing that for some people being in that classroom is outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, very yeah, true. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and that's what I've seen time and time again is I've seen students who who are way more comfortable on a Duke of Edinburgh trip than they are in the class. And actually pulling those kids out of their comfort zone um 
uh, is by then giving them the sorts of roles they would never get in, in the classroom. So giving them the leadership roles, giving them the roles of, look, you are doing brilliantly. There's a couple of people in your team who are struggling a little bit. Maybe think of ways that you can help them out. And then suddenly, not only have they kind of risen to the top in this particular challenge, but they're being given a, a sort of more of a leadership role. Charlie, even though you said, oh, we're moving slightly away from teams uh, when we speak of individuals there, I think that if you've been part of a very good team, if that team then breaks up for any reason, let's say you get to under 16s football team and then they don't have a senior team to move on to, then, you know, you have to go somewhere else or you've done your gold DV and now that's it for, for that. Or you were part of a drama production and now you move on to another, another drama production with different people. I think that it's really important that if that was a really good, solid team, you have a great base and foundation to then take those good things onto somewhere else as an individual. So it goes back to coaches make coaches. So all of our good coaches that we've worked with or teachers or, you know, or mentors, we've taken things from them and moved on as an individual, not as a team. So even though DOV, yes, we speak about teams and, and you were just talking about individuals there flourishing, I still think that that's part of the team ethic that, that, that you know, that they originally It's definitely of. something we have to consider because teams do finish, uh, something we have to consider them, particularly with young people, being able to take away that the contribution that they made or the success that they had, yes, it happened as a result of a team, but recognizing where individual contributions made up team outcomes, you know, that they massively that there yeah. was stuff that they did that made, and we've talked about it in the past about recognizing what your job is as part of this group. But Mark, I think that's, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point because I think what happens is if, if someone doesn't turn up to their kind of a, their physical or their skill section of, of the DOV, uh, that has a consequence uh, later on down the line. If you are doing a drama rehearsal and you skip two sessions out of four and you are going to work on some really important lines there, or you miss a few training sessions, I think people think as an individual, oh, it doesn't matter so much because there's this big kind of team that will carry on without me anyway, rather than recognizing the huge importance they play as an individual within that bigger team, um, especially for younger people. I, I, I don't think they understand that they have a massive part to play. Where does the individual come out in these Duke of Edinburgh expeditions, Charlie? Do, are, you, are you consciously trying to highlight that or... Is the focus so much on teamwork that that we're not looking for that? Yeah, so without a doubt, you're trying to you're trying to find the strengths, and again, on the practice hike, um, the 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 way that I've changed in terms of the way that I manage uh, that practice expedition, where you're kind of the, the team are sort of starting to find their feet. You know, it's worth noting at this stage, these are groups of students who have not worked together before in a lot of cases, and and in a lot of cases, I make sure they've not worked together because my experience is that teams of friends break down a lot quicker than teams of strangers and there's such a small amount of time that a Duke of Edinburgh group is spending together they're spending well, at bronze level they're spending the two days of the practice expedition the two days of the assessed expedition um, and then they may never see each other again or just you know become sort of acquaintance again but I used to and I and I've moved away from this I used to be of a everyone needs to do everything um tact and my early days at Duke of Edinburgh uh, there were a lot of times where um somebody would be doing a lot of the navigating um and then somebody else would not be doing very much navigating and i and i would um sort of say that actually um in order for them to 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 get through it 
the person doing the navigating had to stop navigating altogether. And then the person who wasn't doing any had to stop yeah. navigating. And then what would happen was the told you so effect. What would happen is the person who was at the back who um, was struggling, who then suddenly got thrust into the limelight, um, struggled some more, made some poor decisions because it almost muted the, the, the stronger one a little bit by saying, let someone else take over, let someone else take over. Mistakes would be made, arguments would happen. Like I say, it's all about me stepping back. So those arguments might not happen while, while I'm there to manage them. And then you'd get a grumpy team who just want to give up. Um, <laughs> what I've realized now is actually playing to people's strengths is better. And that's not to say, okay, you are the navigator, therefore you're the only person who navigates. But I have had conversations along the lines of, you're doing an excellent job of navigating and you're clearly a very capable navigator. Um, I, I would like to get to the end of this with everyone in your group having had an opportunity to learn some navigation skills. So rather than expecting you to take a step back, what I want you to do is to take a step up. Day, is to take a step up, yeah, and say and, and maybe teach this other person in your team how to navigate. Right. Um but also, it's it's a similar with the cooking thing. Like again, I want I used to want to see every student kind of cook an individual meal. But actually, there's something quite powerful about recognizing that there is someone in your team who is not only uh, who's who's keen and happy to to do a sort of a bit quite a lot of the cooking and to cook for everyone, and for there to be sort of support around that. So it's almost elect a sort of a chef within the team, as well as there being a navigator, as well as there being a first aider, almost like elect someone who is keen to sort of manage the food and to and to and to be able to empower them to then like say or oh, oh, you know get the others to sort of do a little bit of work for them during that period of time. Charlie, how how have you found that with with young people? Because you know sometimes people can think they are good at a lot of things. Mm. Without without much kind of foundation to that, they 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 assume or or they maybe assume that they should be given the opportunity to do everything um, within a team. Uh, they can cook, they can navigate. Is is that the important part to get them to recognize that okay, this person is actually a better cook than you at this stage? Mm. That doesn't mean you can't surpass them and practice and do lots of cooking at home. And one day be a better cook than this person. But right now, in this team environment, in this dynamic, this is the person for this job. So you support that person and that person supports you in navigation because that's what your forte is in. Yeah. And if everyone, if everyone is doing what they are best at, we probably have the best chance of completing our task. Yeah, well, the, the, the interesting thing is that I think, I think a lot of the times I'm sort of making out like this is something that happens quite quickly a lot of the times the team doesn't get to the point at all over the two expeditions where they are operating fluidly as a as a tightly old machine um, yeah they, they often it's not, not until the debrief that they go oh yeah maybe i was a bit overpowering or maybe i didn't put my weight and and a lot of times it will happen you know quite quite far into the second expedition you know maybe even just the final day um, when actually things start to come together, and I'm okay with that. Like, I, I, and I'm also okay with the fact that I, I could probably only remember one example in in the twenty expeditions I had of a team that didn't have some sort of massive falling out at some point during the expedition. You know, they're tired. They're either hot, too hot, or too cold. They're being pulled together to do something that is challenging, and they will argue. And I see that I sort of see a, a, a strange value in that 
breaking down to build up again. Because actually sometimes out of those arguments, something then happens that shifts the roles slightly, brings other people forward, pushes other people back a little bit, and actually kind of evens out the team. However, um, I think I said right at the top, one of the things that I am interested in is when to step back and when to get involved. And I have had an example of a team who, on the second expedition, maybe I think the arguments were there all the way through the practice expedition, and I would step in and and, and help them to to resolve the argument. And then when it came to the assessed expedition, when I wasn't there, I was meeting at checkpoints, with no one there to resolve those arguments, it just fell apart. And this was a team that spent their seven hours, this is a silver, that they were supposed to be out, were out for, I think, something like 11 or 12 hours on a particularly hot day and, and, and it had all fallen apart. And it's because they hadn't um, found the way to, to sort of resolve those arguments. So I think there is value in, in conflict. So we'll stop it there and we will bring the rest of that conversation with Charlie Pennell and it gets a lot more fantasy-based next week uh, it does indeed <laughs> where we get into um a little more about the dungeons and dragons side but interestingly how the overlap between the two uh, has led charlie to some of the you know the ways that he works as a teacher and as a dungeon master and dv manager sean charlie's question for himself there about how much involvement does he need to have in a group is an interesting one we've hit that a couple of times you and I definitely I think as well he spoke a lot about kind of self-sufficiency so even though you know he works with groups of people there's still that kind of individual element to being self-sufficient and if kind of everyone within the group kind of knows their role and is prepared to work for themselves but ultimately for the team um within their kind of within their kind of strong point um and and kind of what they're good at it can have a really big impact on the team overall and the success of that team so that shift that he was talking about of uh going from thinking it's about making sure everyone has a fair crack at everything to making sure that people who are experts or have a particular strength are trickling that down and growing the team in that way i find that super interesting yeah it was it was great when he was kind of mentioning that because when he was saying you know earlier on about giving everyone equal roles and responsibilities and stuff i was kind of going in my head uh i don't know about that i don't know if that would be my approach and so it was interesting to see him then kind of after a good few years of experience kind of to look for those people that have their specific talents within that team but not then just to to kind of be on a pedestal and 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 to be the cook but to kind of bring people into that role um so they are still the cook and they are the best cook but they may need a little bit of a helping hand from others to do bits and pieces you know within that role um and i do think you know if organizations and teams can really quickly discover who's good at what then i think you you're onto a good thing i think and i may be wrong here but i think steve jobs never really said that he was an expert in anything he just 
got experts around him to kind of fulfill his creativity which you know produced one of the biggest companies that we've we've ever seen yeah his ability to collect people with those individual strengths to realize a, a, a vision that's something i think we can get into at the beginning of maybe in the next episode we can talk about what it means to be the vision because what i what i wonder about and that we hit in theater is that thing that charlie was talking about the director as an example of that person who like they're not on stage they're not going to be seen when it comes down to the actual performance uh but they do end up feeling like the boss. Is that an appropriate thing to feel like? Because Steve Jobs was definitely the boss. Is that hierarchy appropriate in the various places that we're working? Is it good that that Charlie or yourself or myself end up feeling like the boss of young people? Or maybe there's a way to fulfill that role of being the visionary, being the person with the overview without taking all of the power. No, definitely. Just just as you're as you're you know, as you're speaking there, Mark, I'm just thinking we've got some really good stuff that we could look into. I think I watched a movie the other day, which everyone I think struggles with how you want to pronounce it. Um it is on Netflix currently. Um I feel like I work for Netflix. It, Ex Machina. Yeah. Yeah. The director of that mark is Alex Garland. Thank you very much. So I watched an interview with him after watching the film because it is one of those films that, you know, is quite thought provoking. And it's really interesting how he speaks about his role within a movie and basically just says that he's a filmmaker and everyone in the in the crew is a filmmaker because you're all making an end product opposed to this hierarchical structure that you may find on some film sets so maybe that's something to to delve into absolutely uh, i think we should definitely extend that conversation at the beginning of next week's episode but for now we'll say goodbye that's uh until we meet charlie again in the next episode where he talks more about duke of edinburgh and dungeons and dragons so thank you everyone for listening uh, if you want to get in touch with us again it's no eye podcast on twitter and instagram and you can send us your requests or your hookups or uh, if you want to uh, get in touch and ask to be on the podcast we would love that until next week it is uh, a goodbye from sean bye guys and goodbye from me goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes